0: maybe even illegal, unless you're a historian, and then we get to do it all the time. We'll look at some Civil War letters with former librarian David Lee Paremba when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. programming tools. Websites powered by Avalar feature capabilities that attract more customers and enhance relationships with existing customers. Avalar offers a multitude of leading-edge solutions, including lead generation and referral tracking, shopping carts and payment processing, membership management, and search engine optimization, to name a few. Take advantage of the full power of the Internet using Avalar technology at www.avalar.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R.com. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich at East Carolina University, talking today with David Lee Paremba, editor of If I Am Found Dead, Michigan Voices from the Civil War. In our last segment, we talked about some of those voices, particularly... Uh, the letters of James Verner of the Fourth Michigan Cavalry that are reproduced in this very interesting volume, and the bulk of the volume—perhaps more letters or longer letters than anyone else—are the letters of uh, George Salter. Did I get that first name right? Charles.
1: Charles, Charles Salter. Salter. Yes, it, it,
0: uh, it has the names at the top of each page, so you know whose letters you're reading, but not the first name. And I missed that there, Um, Charles Salter of the 16th Michigan. uh, His letters are not perhaps as as lively always as those of Werner. I I got the impression at times he was kind of a maybe a bit of a stick in the mud. Uh, But he certainly had a wide range of experiences to report on.
1: That's for sure. Now, you have to realize he's writing to the wife of a prominent Detroit minister, uh, Dibby Bethune Duffield. The Duffields were a very prominent family in Detroit. So he's, his letters are very formal. Uh, they're certainly um, straightforward um, and lengthy. Uh, he carries on this, this uh, correspondence with her uh, throughout his entire um, active service. And those are the letters that are extant. There's no other at least as far as I was able to discover, there are no other Salter letters. He mentions in letters to Mrs. Duffield that he's written his father and he's gotten letters from his father, um, but the only thing that is still extant are the his letters to the Duffields.
0: Now, I guess uh, that brings up an issue in in archival evidence, which is uh, we, we never can, of course, have a complete picture uh, of anyone's experience, but these are the kind of letters that somebody would be likely to preserve. They're they're clearly written. They are, as you say, somewhat formal. They describe events in detail. They don't divulge any personal uh, secrets of any kind. Uh, There's not a lot of emotion. Uh, And so they're, they're perfectly acceptable to keep and donate to a collection like the Burton Historical Collection. On the other hand, if you get some uh personal letters between a husband and wife uh you might well find after the war you don't want anyone else to see those and they don't
1: end up in collections like like the Burton that's true uh and it's it's archivally tragic to uh to know that some papers are destroyed on purpose uh simply because of uh, someone's uh rather misguided sense of uh propriety um, but there are some, uh, some collections in Burton that exist of, uh, letters from husband to wife, some, both, uh, oftentimes the, the letters from the wife to the soldier, uh, don't survive in the knapsack too well, but, uh, the letters home are preserved, uh, simply because of the, the importance of the event. Uh, a lot of times these guys, this is, they're one and only Period in their lives where they're they're not at home, and of course they're they're uh, they're doing the thing, and that's uh, that's fighting a war. Um, so there are different degrees of uh, content. Uh, Salter is not without his uh, his comment on uh, commanders and how uh, how the army's being led, and how the his feelings toward McClellan, for instance. Um, that's true, uh, and you can you can sense a change as. Uh, um, McClellan, after training the Army of the Potomac, doesn't fight it very well. Um, but Salter, certainly with the 16th Michigan Infantry, saw pretty much all of it uh, right through uh, time he resigned. Uh, there are some interesting uh, letters written after Gettysburg. Of course, the, the 16th Michigan um, sort of went down in history with its defensive little round top. Um, it was in the Maine, same brigade as the 20th Maine,
0: which gets yeah. all publicity. Um, mm-hmm. They were up there too on, on Little Round Top.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I think they were. They fought side by side. Of course, uh, the 20th Maine, get, you said, get, get better publicity. I think that's uh, part of the problem with uh, the whole Michigan uh, experience in the Civil War. It's been overshadowed uh, um, by other by other units and other other events. Um, uh, the Michigan Cavalry Brigade, for instance, um, uh, is one such unit. Uh, they fought um, under Custer during the Civil War, and actually, uh, according to some r- recent uh, works there, actually saved the Union on uh, July 3rd there, uh, fighting Stewart's Cavalry to a standstill. So it's interesting to see, uh, finally understand, or at least uh getting a better understanding of Michigan's role in the Civil War. Uh, It is. I I thought it was
0: particularly noteworthy that Salter describes the fighting on Little Round Top on the second day at Gettysburg and the role of the 16th Michigan. And he says the Confederates broke the line of the 20th Maine, Mm -hmm. and some 200 soldiers got behind their line, but then the, the breach was sealed and all those men were captured, which is, from his view, certainly what what he saw happening, but he he was not there photographing it. uh, But instead of the the version we get from the Killer Angels or the Gettysburg movie, uh, he presents a different contemporary version where the the 20th Maine is actually broken, but reforms and then captures people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not the same view. I thought that was interesting. It is interesting, yes. Now, the... uh, you can't rely entirely on these letters. Uh, taking the same theme with the 20th Maine, he describes at one point uh, late in the war the the fatal wounding of uh, General Chamberlain, the former colonel of the 20th Maine, and he says it's it's sad he died a true Christian death. We're, we're sorry to lose him, but of course Chamberlain lived many years after the war.
1: Right. There's a couple. Of, matter of fact, Salter is reported dead, and uh, he rectifies a. Uh, that particular allusion meant in, in a letter to Mrs. Duffield. So he he does get wounded. And it's reported that he was uh, killed in action when he when he actually wasn't. So you get a lot you get hearsay in the letters, which which of course brings them up to the minute or, or makes the the modern researcher or reader uh, uh, understand that this was actually written in in sort of in the, in the heat of the moment or, or shortly after that.
0: Which and it requires care in in use of them. That uh, as you say, the researcher who knows that Chamberlain survived doesn't draw the conclusion that Salter's a liar, uh, but that if if someone didn't witness the event himself and is just reporting camp news, it may or may not be accurate. But when he tells you what he saw himself, uh, this is this is information that uh, tends to be reliable and and can be used uh, historically.
1: It's as reliable as it can be, uh, certainly you, uh, every individual in witnessing an event has their own viewpoint of that event. And it's, uh, it's not too much longer after, uh, the act when Salter is actually, uh, writing about it. So, um, things are still fresh in his mind. Um, uh, there's an interesting, um, portion of the letter talking about the Petersburg campaign when Colonel Welsh is killed, and uh, Salter is the one uh, that leads the regiment through the breach to take one of the small Confederate forts. And he mentions the fact that uh, there's an illustration published in Frank Leslie's Illustrated Weekly and Harper's, and um, evidently he teamed these and said that uh, I think Frank Leslie's was more, uh, accurate than Harper's, and uh, the illustration is published in, in in the book here. If I'm found dead, and it's an interesting uh, collaboration of uh, what he what he is reporting and what actually
0: happened. He gets a chance to review the the two media versions and tell us which that, one looks more evidently.
1: Like I, uh, of course, uh, there's nothing uh, as desired in a, in an encampment as uh, newspaper whether they're hometown or not.
0: That's right. Now, the,
1: uh, th- Another
0: thing that struck me about these letters was what a small world the United States was in the 1860s. Uh, there are many connections you can draw between individuals who show up at different places. Uh, uh, James Shields, who commands Union troops in the Shenandoah, uh, 20 years earlier was uh, challenging Abraham Lincoln to a duel, when they were both politicians in Illinois. Uh, and Lincoln and Stanton meet each other as lawyers in the 50s. Lincoln and McClellan meet when McClellan works for the railroad uh, that Lincoln is suing. There are all these uh, uh, representing that suing. Uh, the, and you see the same thing on a small scale here. These letters to Duffield, um, to the Duffield family, keep referring to... Uh, the Colonel Duffield of the Ninth Michigan,
1: mm-hmm.
0: who in turn is in the same army, of course, as uh, James Verner, and uh, presumably they might have encountered each other at some point. Uh, but the Duffields uh, are, are are engaged in the war. Uh, yes, the Colonel Duffield was in fact captured at uh, at Murfreesboro, not not the Battle Stones River, but the the raid on Murfreesboro in July 1862, and and. Uh, Salter expresses his sympathy for for him being wounded, and if I don't even feel like discussing it here, but if you want to look up the uh, listeners, if you want to find out what happened to Colonel uh, Duffield at Murfreesboro, it was a very painful male injury. I can tell you that
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, uh, mm-hmm. but, but he does for,
1: he does go on I think uh, duffield uh, Henry uh, attains general's rank, I believe. Uh, during the Spanish-American War and is uh, prominent in uh, training the Michigan contribution uh, 32nd and 33rd Infantry Regiments. Um, so he does sur- he does survive the the conflict, but it is it is a, a very small world um, and the inner relationships. Uh, there's no. Uh, it would be interesting to surmise if Berner and Salter ever met in Detroit. Uh, after the war and, and shared reminiscences, but, of course, that's that's all speculation. Werner mm-hmm. uh, is prominent in the veterans' organizations concerning the 4th Michigan Cavalry, uh, who, by the way, were uh, instrumental in the capture of Jefferson Davis. Uh, unfortunately, the Werner letters don't carry that far forward. After he gets his commission, there, are, there aren't too many letters that are still extant. But Werner does serve right through the... Uh, through the end of the conflict. Well, these, these letters really
0: are uh, very interesting to read. They, they reflect the fact that there were so many well-educated people fighting in the Civil War, and that letter writing was an art that was widely practiced in those days, uh, perhaps the way we practice email now. Uh, but everybody was accustomed to, not everybody, many people were accustomed to writing and, uh, and putting the, the, their elaborate thoughts or their innermost thoughts on paper in a way that, that we don't do so much any any longer.
1: Uh, uh, absolutely, and you can tell uh, uh, the f- between the four men, uh, Werner and Presley are, are sort of phonetic spellers. Werner and uh, Salter are a little better educated or a little bit more practiced in, in, uh, in writing, but uh, none of them, I think this is the first time that a lot of them were literate, and none of them were afraid to... Uh, put their thoughts down on paper, like you said. And,
0: and uh, thinking about it, one wonders how they found time to do this. The, the diarists that you, you cite often write a single line or two for each day, and there are nice photographs of the actual journals themselves. And you can get a sense of a soldier stopping at the end of a day and pulling this out of a knapsack or pocket and scribbling down a line so he remembers that day's event. But uh, Salter, to a lesser extent Werner, had to have time and space and energy to write these multi-page letters, uh, that seems really remarkable to me.
1: Well, it, it is. Uh, you have to understand, of course, theres there, it's like any other, uh, any other army hurry up and wait. So there is a lot of time where time is spent not doing anything. Whether you're in the line or in camp, uh, there's time. Of course, Salter writes a multi-page letter, but he does it like once a month. Mm-hmm. Or very seldom twice a month, but uh, he's very consistent in doing it. Um, and a diarist, as you said, can uh, can pull it out of a pocket with a stub of a pencil and, and jot some thoughts down. Um, Vanderpool, I think, a little more articulate than Presley was in in uh, keeping his his diary. Mm-hmm. What um,
0: are the Alpheus Williams papers at the Burton collection? Yes, they are. Those, those were published back in the 60s, and there was a guy who wrote huge letters almost every day. Yes. Uh, they, yeah. More than almost anyone else I can think of, they really astonished me with how much that guy could write while describing, I'm, I'm in the rain, I'm writing with a stub of a pencil under a tent mm-hmm. fly, And I've commanded... Alpheus
1: Williams. He was uh, one of the few uh, Corps commanders to keep his job in the Army of the Potomac. Uh, well, he was a divisional commander for most of his uh, most of his career because he had no political influence or uh, or friends in high places. But he was a competent soldier. Um, another native Detroiter saw service in the Mexican War, and uh, of course his statue still is on Belle Isle. That's right. People
0: uh, don't know that that they all see the giant equestrian statue, but uh, the name of Alpheus Williams is better known to uh, Civil War researchers than uh, than the people of Detroit, unfortunately. True. Well, the music I hear tells us we've come to the end of our time all too soon, as always. Uh, but, David, thank you very much for being on the
1: show. Absolutely. My pleasure, sir.
0: And, listeners, I recommend, if you want to hear the voices of Michigan soldiers, representatives of, of soldiers from any Army, uh, take a look at David Lee Peremba's book, If I Am Found Dead, Michigan Voices from the Civil War. And uh, take a look at it and join us again next week on Civil War Talk Radio.